From Southern California, this is Outlook in Review, a summary of world headlines, technology and business news, arts and entertainment features, and instructive encouragement from the Praiselite Media Studios, Thousand Oaks, California. Good day, it's Wednesday, the 22nd of May, 2019. Over the weekend, Google announced it is ceasing business with Chinese smartphone manufacturer Huawei. According to reports, future Huawei devices would no longer have access to any Google services, including the Play Store. This came after an order from the U.S. Presidential Administration that effectively blocks Huawei from doing business in the U.S. due to what had been termed a national security risk. From concerns about about intellectual property theft and cybersecurity that have overshadowed ongoing trade negotiations between the US and China. However, on Tuesday, Google halted their plans to bar Huawei's access after the U.S. Commerce Department granted on Monday a 90-day license for companies and internet providers to coordinate with the Chinese tech giant in an effort to help existing customers. The U.S. Commerce Department said it was giving companies until August 19th of this year to work with Huawei to devise a long-term plan that would help keep systems running and protect current users from threats and security risks. This according to a CNBC report, and Fox Business states that the order which would ease U.S. exports to the tech giant is expected to be published later on today. If and when the Google ban resumes against the Chinese phone manufacturer, Google technical support and software such as the Gmail app, YouTube, and Google Maps would be unavailable on new devices, as would Android services except those available through an open source license. Google confirmed on Sunday that existing Huawei-made devices would also continue to function as normal, ban or no ban. Only time will tell, but all of this, referring to a report by the BBC, seems to hasten what some are referring to as the balkanization of the digital age, two separate internets that would require different technologies in order to use them. Women's retail chain Dress Barn announced on Monday it will eventually be closing all 650 of their locations. This due to a lack of profitability. Dress Barn, which first opened in 1962, said that their stores and website will, however, continue running normally during what they termed as a winding down process. USA Today reports that there have already been more closings announced for 2019 in retail than all of last year. Dress Barn's announcement pushes that total beyond 7,000 stores shuttering, with the record being just over 8,000 store closures in 2017. Parent company Asena also owns the brands Lane Bryant and Ann Taylor, but has no plans for closures of those lines at this time. Patch.com reports that Dress Barn will also continue paying its vendors and suppliers in full for products and services provided during the closure process.
On the 8th of October, 1927, the third son of Fred and Clara Elliott was born. Of Scottish heritage, young Jim Elliott's grandparents were the first of his family to settle in North America, and living in Portland, Oregon with his two older brothers and a younger sister, Jim was raised in a strongly Christian-influenced home, where the Bible was read regularly and biblical obedience and honesty were enforced. This upbringing and instruction instilled a love for Christ which rooted in itself deep in Jim's heart. In 1941, he entered college, and his many talents led to offers to speak and write, even act in school projects and functions. But although Jim used his speaking ability often, his biblically Christian convictions more than once estranged him from participating in activities typical for others with similar standing. Once, Jim Elliott risked expulsion from a public speaking club by refusing to give a political speech, believing that Christians were not to immerse themselves in the world's politics. Also, as a pacifist, Jim Elliott rejected the idea of using military force to eliminate slavery in Africa, and he was prepared to stand as a conscientious objector had he been drafted to serve in World War II. Once out of school, Jim's heart to reach others with the Christian gospel led him to look towards foreign missions work. Although his parents and many of his friends felt he might instead be more effective in youth ministry in the United States, he stated that he considered the home church to be well-fed at the time, and international missions took precedence. Jim Elliott began to seek a godly man who might partner with him in his efforts, but although he wanted someone who was unmarried in order to focus on the missions work and avoid family separations, his first two choices ended up getting married before any trips were even taken. Finally, however, meeting a man named Pete Fleming from the University of Washington, they decided on Ecuador as the mission field and began learning about the country and its people, the Quechua Indians. At first staying in the town of Quito, they eventually moved into the jungle living at the Shandia Mission in the rainforests of central Ecuador. In 1953, Jim Elliott married Elizabeth Howard, whom he had met while in college, and they had corresponded regularly since. After a short honeymoon, they both returned to the work in Ecuador, and Jim, along with four other missionaries, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, and their pilot Nate Saint, finally made contact with the Quechua Indians from their Piper PA-14 plane. After several months, the men decided to build a base a short distance from the Indian village, along the Kurare River. There, they were approached by a small group of nearby Huarani Indians, also called Aka Indians by some, and the missionaries even gave one of them, a native whom they nicknamed George, an airplane ride. Encouraged by these friendly encounters with the neighboring tribe, they began plans to visit them as well. But little did they know that the native that they had named George had been spreading rumors and lying to the others about the missionaries' intentions. And before they had a chance to visit the tribe on the 8th of January 1956, 10 Huarani warriors came under the guise of sowing interest in their plane and deceived the missionaries into believing that this was a friendly encounter. Drawing them into the open near the river, the warriors subsequently killed all five missionaries. 
Despite the devastating news of her husband's death, Elizabeth Elliot, as well as other missionaries, began working among the Huaorani where they continued evangelistic outreach and services. Although Jim Elliot's mission was relatively short, the work he started continues on to this day, with missions work throughout Ecuador. In fact, one of the men who took part in the attack is now good friends with the son of Nate Saint, and is a noted Ecuadorian pastor and elder, having come to the knowledge of Christ through the example and the gospel message of the Christian missions work which Jim Elliot envisioned, started, and worked towards over 66 years ago. Be still my soul, the Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide In every change God faithful will remain Be still my soul, your best, your heavenly friend Through thorny ways leads to joyful end, be still my soul. In today's entertainment-driven society and media-driven world, we as followers of Christ must be cautious in what we allow not only into our homes, but into our minds as well. We need to ask ourselves if our intake level and content is a healthy one. Not necessarily physical health, although that as well, but more importantly, healthy for our soul is what we consume in effect poisonous to our walk with Christ, both in time spent and in material. Many around us, colleagues, friends, or family can feel annoyed or threatened in their own choices by those in our lives, namely believers who decide not to partake in the same entertainment choices. They tend to target followers of Christ who opt against the intake of certain popular shows, movies, or music, often on the grounds of openly godless themes or immoral, irreverent behavior, and the advocacy of such. Very often, sadly, the arguments against such decisions are founded on a pointed question asking why we as believers overtly refuse to partake in certain media choices while at the same time consuming another facet with perhaps less questionable content, but questionable content nonetheless. Now these questions that they ask us start with the premise that these other popular entertainment titles are somehow the standard for biblical Christian morality, but they aren't the standard. As Ephesians 4 points out, Christ is the only standard. And so if indeed we are followers of Jesus Christ, the challenge is this. Why are we, as Christians, indulging in any media with questionable content? Does this media truly have some sort of redeeming content with which we are encouraged spiritually? Does it contain some sort of edification with which we can draw closer to Christ? Does it enable us to learn more of Him, His creation, 
his principles, or something else which, without compromise, encourages us or is edifying to our walk with him and our fellowship with other believers. If we are honest, however, maybe, just maybe, much of the entertainment that we choose not to call out or expunge from our homes also contains stumbling blocks, also contains glorification of sin, embraces anti-biblical sentiments, and causes subtle corrosion to our Christian conscience. Why are we filling our minds with sensual music, sexual innuendos, and graphic violence? How can we watch irreverent comedy or other media glorifying a hatred of our Savior and ultimate glorification of all worldly pursuits? Philippians 4 charges us whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. We can't expect the world to act according to Christ's standard for the same reason we can't expect Hollywood to embrace or even understand the worldview of biblical Christianity. But why do we fill our minds with their religion through their primary mediums, entertainment, and media? Paul in Romans 12 gives us a standard to work towards when he challenges, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be wooed by the world's call to indulge in what is simply unfit for Christian consumption. I need thee every hour Stay thou nearby Temptations lose their power When thou art nigh I need thee, oh I need thee Every hour I need thee Oh bless me now my Savior I come to Thanks for listening to Outlook in Review. Contact us anytime with questions or comments. We'd always love to hear from you. We're on Twitter at Outlook in Review and Facebook.com forward slash Outlook in Review, where you can find information to various topics we cover on the show. Until next time from Thousand Oaks, California, I'm Ben Ditzel. This is Outlook in Review. Outlook in Review.